0: are listening to The Lovely Bee Podcast, where it's our mission to inspire and empower each woman to become the person God created her to be, so she can fully embrace her vocation as wife and mother with joy, peace, and thanksgiving. I'm Stephanie Roth. Thanks for joining me. Hey lovelies, and welcome to The Lovely Bee Podcast Episode 3, The Communion of Saints. This dogma of the church has always been one of my favorites. Um, I just love the concept of us being one community, one family in Christ. And so with Halloween really right around the corner, I wanted to study the details of this dogma again for myself and hopefully this edifies you in your spiritual life as well. Many of us know that Halloween is is kind of shortened version of All Hallows' Eve, and that's the Eve or the vigil of the Feast of All Saints on November first, which is, by the way, a holy day of obligation. So make sure you check with your parish website or bulletin uh, to find out. When their mass times are both again on Halloween, the the eve or the vigil of the Feast of All Saints and the day of. So in talking about the communion of the saints, I wanted to give a brief history of it and then dive straight into the catechism of the Catholic Church and talk about what exactly is involved or what is it? What is the communion of saints And then I thought I would share some of my personal experience of really the power of this dogma and the beauty of it and how it can strengthen and inspire our lives of faith. So we find the communion of saints within the Apostles' Creed right after professing the belief in the Holy Catholic Church. Now this creed dates back to Really, the first few centuries of the church legend says the 12 apostles wrote it on the day of Pentecost while being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, each apostle contributing one of the 12 articles contained in the creed. Now, whether this legend is completely factual or not is really kind of moot. The tradition of the church holds that whether it was done on Pentecost or not, whether each one wrote One of the 12 articles. The church holds that the apostles did compose it together, at least in its earliest forms. If you're a history junkie, uh, there's a really great and quite lengthy article on newadvent.org. It's the Catholic Encyclopedia, and I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes if you're interested. So, what is the Communion of Saints? what does that exactly mean? As I said, I will be referencing the Catechism of the Catholic Church a lot in the next couple minutes. So the Communion of Saints can be found specifically in Article 9, Paragraph 5 of Part 1, uh, The Profession of Faith. And this is where the Catechism is talking about all of the articles within the Apostles' Creed And the reference paragraphs are 946 through 962. It's about four pages, so it's not terribly long. And the basic doctrine is founded scripturally on a lot of St. Paul's writings, his different letters to the Corinthians, to the Hebrews, all of those passages where he's referencing how we are one body in Christ and how Christ is the head of this body. So the Catechism describes how since we, the faithful, are all part of this one body in Christ, we therefore share in this beautiful communion together. And as it goes on to describe, this includes both a communion or sharing of holy things or spiritual goods that one has either received or the merits of a a good and charitable work that one has done. But the communion of saints also refers to this communion or this unity among holy persons. But let's first talk about these spiritual goods that we as members of the communion of saints share in together. The first one the catechism describes is the communion of faith, and I just want to read uh, what it says in paragraph 949. The faith of the faithful is the faith of the church received from the apostles. Faith is a treasure of life, which is enriched by being shared. Uh, that paragraph, that little sentence gives me so many warm and fuzzies because if you have close friendships with those who share your faith, who share your values. You know how incredibly edifying it is to share that with one another. It reminds me of how C.S. Lewis would talk about how a friendship is formed when two individuals come together and realize a commonality and they have this aha moment of thinking, you too? I thought I was the only one. And sometimes, especially in today's culture, you sometimes feel like you're the only one. You're the only one who's striving to become a better person and striving to recognize God's presence in your everyday mundane moments. It's just incredibly edifying, again, to encounter those who are going through the same experiences, the same struggles, and are after the same goal. The second spiritual good that we all share in is the communion of the sacraments. The catechism says, The sacraments are the sacred links uniting the faithful with one another and binding them to Christ. Now, of course, baptism is the sacrament of initiation. It initiates us into being a part of the body of Christ. So that's kind of the doorway through which we enter and partake in the life of the church and through the other sacraments. And all of these, of course, are a way of Christ communicating His grace, the riches of His grace, the goods of His grace to the members of His body. It's beautiful. The Catechism also says, the communion of saints must be understood as the communion of the sacraments for the unitest God. And of course, the primary sacrament, the source and summit of our faith, is the Holy Eucharist. And it holds this primacy because this is the sacrament of Christ's body and blood, soul and divinity It is His ultimate communion with each one of us. We receive the entirety of Christ, and hopefully while we're receiving it, we we vow to give the entirety of ourselves to Christ. So again, by the sacraments, and of course primarily the Eucharist, we are brought into communion with one another in the most powerful way possible in this life. The third spiritual good the Catechism talks about us sharing in is communion of charisms. Paragraph 951 states, Within the communion of the church, the Holy Spirit distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank for the building up of the church. Now to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In this concept, I feel I'm just barely beginning to understand. I recently went through a parish study program called Called and Gifted, and it's all about trying to help you discover which charisms the Spirit has gifted you with. And a large part of the opening lectures and small group discussions is really fleshing out The fact that these charisms are given not primarily for our benefit. Rather, each charism possesses a character of service. So we might not even feel comfortable at first using it. It might not be something that we even particularly enjoy doing. For instance, I knew a young man who was a sidewalk counselor and absolutely hated it. (laughs) Um, I mean, which who enjoys, you know, standing outside an abortion clinic and trying to intercept these women who are going in for abortions, but he felt the calling on his heart to be there. And so week after week he would go and would see results, positive results of him being there. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure what charism he had in fulfilling that, um, that obligation to service that he felt. He might have had the charism of encouragement or maybe evangelization or intercessory prayer. But the point is, it's something that the Spirit calls us to do. And we kind of grow into, rather than viewing the charisms as a natural-born talent or a hobby, even. It's something more. It's something specifically for the service of the church, and again, not solely for ourselves. And if you'd like more information on the Calden Gifted Workshop, I, I really, highly, highly recommend it. Again, I just went through it, so I'm kind of a novice in terms of learning which charisms I have and how to practice them and fulfill that God-given role in the life of the church. But I'll go ahead and link more information in the show notes of this episode. The next spiritual good that we share within the communion of saints is um, something I like to refer to, communion of resources, being good stewards of the many blessings that we've been given in our life. And really, I see this as a personal call to look into and try to practice more often the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and that call to be there for one another as fellow members of the communion of saints. And finally, the Catechism talks about a communion in charity, And again, the catechism references a number of letters from St. Paul to various communities in the early church. He says, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Charity does not insist on its own way. In this solidarity with all men, living or dead, which is founded on the communion of saints, the least of our acts done in charity redounds to the profit of all. So again, I, I think that just brings home the beautiful encouragement of we're all in this together. We're all pooling for one another And we all desire to help one another. We all want to see one another in heaven. So I feel we all just naturally hold that sentiment. So those are the spiritual goods that the catechism states that we all share in within the communion of saints. But what about the communion among holy persons? There are three states of the church, uh, the, the body of Christ as a whole. There's the church militant, which includes all of us here on earth, striving and really fighting that spiritual battle to conform ourselves to Christ. The second state is the church suffering, and those are the holy souls in purgatory who have concluded their earthly life, and yet because of the stain of sin, have not yet entered into heaven. They are waiting to be purified, are in the process of purification. But this doesn't mean even though they are dead, uh, you know, we all are alive in Christ, right? So even though they have passed on from this life, we are still very intimately connected again through the sacraments, through the Eucharist and Christ's infinite merits. And the third state, is the church triumphant, and those are the saints in heaven. And this includes both those who have been formally canonized by the church and also so many hundreds of thousands of millions, probably more, that we have no clue who they are, uh, but they lived holy and beautiful lives for the Lord and are now sharing the beatific vision in heaven. Catechism paragraph number 955 says, This union is in no way interrupted, but on the contrary, according to the constant faith of the church, this union is reinforced by an exchange of spiritual goods, those spiritual goods that we've previously discussed, the communion in the faith, of the sacraments, of charisms, of resources, and in charity. Neither life nor death nor powers or principalities can separate us from the love of God. And again, as we are members of the body of Christ, so too nothing can separate us from one another. Finally, the Catechism touches upon the intercession of the saints and communion with the saints. And I want to read this at length uh, because it's my favorite part, honestly, of the doctrine of the communion of saints. As I said earlier, it gives me the warm and fuzzies (laughs) to know that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before me and have won the crown of victory uh, and the beatific vision and that they themselves desire the same for me, the same for all of us. And so I'm going to read from paragraph 956 through Nine fifty-seven. So bear with me. But again, it's poetry. So (laughs) here we go. Being more closely united to Christ, those who dwell in heaven fix the whole church more firmly in holiness. They do not cease to intercede with the Father for us, as they proffer the merits which they acquired on earth through the one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. By their fraternal concern... Is our weakness greatly helped? And the Catechism features two quotes, one from St. Dominic and uh, the other from St. Therese of Lisieux. St. Dominic says, Do not weep, for I shall be more useful to you after my death, and I shall help you then more effectively than during my life. St. Therese of Lisieux says, I want to spend my heaven doing good on earth. The catechism continues, It is not merely by the title of example that we cherish the memory of these in heaven. We seek, rather, that by this devotion to the exercise of fraternal charity, the union of the whole church and the Spirit may be strengthened. Exactly as Christian communion among our fellow pilgrims brings us closer to Christ, so our communion with the saints joins us to Christ, from whom, as from its fountain and head, issues all grace and the life of the people of God itself. And there's one final quote that the Catechism includes at the end of this section from the recently canonized Pope St. Paul VI. And he eloquently says, We believe in the communion of all the faithful of Christ, those who are pilgrims on earth, the dead who are being purified, and the blessed in heaven, all together forming one church. And we believe that in this communion, the merciful love of God and his saints is always attentive to our prayers. I wanted to share briefly of a very powerful experience that I had recently. I've been going to counseling for the last about six months now, um, just really struggling with, I feel a lot of spiritual warfare and, you know, just how it's been affecting my whole life, uh, my my own perspective of myself, uh, my perspective of my marriage and my motherhood. And uh, so my counselor, one of these last sessions in our time of prayer towards the end, asked me to think of a saint to ask to be the patron of our marriage. And immediately, I mean, without a blip, (laughs) blessed pure Giorgio Frassati came to mind. And so I, you know, I said that out loud and as I was saying it, I thought that it was weird, um just that he had come immediately to mind. But, I mean, I can't, it's hard to describe, but it was really just one instance after me pronouncing his name and feeling kind of odd about it. All of these memories started to flood to the front of my mind and how truly Blessed Pure Giorgio Frassati has been with me and with and for our marriage since the very beginning. Uh, A few years, I started a young adult hiking ministry in our area called To the Heights, after, of course, his famous verso l'alto phrase that he wrote on the last photograph taken of him in this earthly life. And it was through that ministry on a hike that my husband and I met each other. Now, fast forward a year later, we get engaged. However, I am about to fly back to Ohio from California to finish my last year at Franciscan University. And a very good friend of ours, a priest, uh, gifted me a beautifully framed image of that photograph and inscription of Blessed Pier Giorgio Fasadi. and ever since we've been married and I've moved into my husband's house, we have had that prominently framed in our living room. Another thing that flooded to the front of my memory was we had the litany of the saints sung at our marriage, uh, the same litany that's usually sung at the Easter vigil, and we had a friend who was the cantor for that litany And she asked us, oh, are there any saints that you would like to add into the litany? And so, of course, we added our confirmation saints, but we also added Blessed Pure Giorgio Farsadi. And I remember very distinctly during our marriage ceremony, you know, we're, we're kneeling in prayer right after we had said our vows. And we're listening to this litany being sung beautifully by our good friend, and Blessed pure Giorgio Frassati's name comes comes up, and I remember looking up at the crucifix and above the crucifix in our parish, there's a painted image of the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart and when I heard his name, I began crying um i just I just very strongly remember his presence there. Fast forward again, about a year later, we are expecting our first son. And I am very quickly approaching my due date and nervous about going over, being a first-time mother. And one night, you know, it's difficult for me to sleep. I'm on the couch in the living room, so I'm not keeping my husband up all night. And I just feel called to pick up a book off the shelf that's about Blessed Pure Giorgio Farsadi, And so I start reading the introduction to it. And right within that first paragraph, it says that he was born April 6th. And I quickly did some calculations and it turned out that April 6th was nine days away. <laughs> and so I ended up praying an Ovena to Blessed Pure Giorgio Frasati uh, for a safe and healthy labor and delivery for me and the baby. And my water broke, and I went into labor on April 6th. So, for his name to immediately come to mind when my counselor asked me for a patron for our marriage, it makes so much sense. Like they say that, you know, oftentimes you don't choose the saint, the saint chooses you. And this was just a very powerful, very real, very encouraging and inspiring and comforting experience that I went through recently. And so I hope, you know, you can reflect on maybe a saint who has kind of followed you in your life or who you really identify with. And I would encourage you to cling to them, pray to them know that they are here for you and that they love you. They love you with the love of Christ. They love you with a love purified by the fact that they're in heaven. And again, that's why this doctrine of the communion of the saints is so incredibly important to me. And I'm so grateful to God for it because it can really truly be an incredible driving force of sanctification in our lives and ultimately the fulfillment of every happiness when we reach heaven one day. I often think of all the prayers that either I have said for other people or that people other people have said for me when we don't even know about it, you know. All of that all will be revealed at the end of time and when we're in heaven. And I just think of the pure joy all of us will have in being reunited with family or meeting people for the first time, but knowing that they prayed for you and that they loved you, they loved you with that love of Christ. And just, again, what joy we will all experience. It must be so incredibly profound and I cannot wait for it. So thank you for joining me in today's podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to both live out this communion in this life and to also look forward to that communion in heaven with our brothers and sisters, the saints. Again, please, please, please remember to mark it in your calendar or set an alarm on your phone to go to mass on November 1st, the Feast of All Saints. Again, check with your parish for mass times and just revel in it. You know, it's a feast day. It's a solemnity. It's one of the highest celebrations of the church. So revel in that, my sisters. Revel in it. Until next time, have a blessed week. Know that you are lovely, incredibly lovely in the eyes of God. Take care.